in this God is Here, We Are Here series, we're looking to build relationships with people where we work, worship, live, and recharge um, through relatable practices that draws people closer to God. Now, we're going to do something that I don't normally do in the messages. We're going to cover an entire chapter this morning. And you're thinking, oh no, he usually does verse by verse. I told you, honey, I should have brought that sandwich inside. But don't worry. Do not worry. It's going to be all right. We're just going to pull out three or four 1,700 verses from this chapter and just kind of work through them. But when you see the chapter and you find an edge, you're like, you're going to, okay, I get it. I see how we're able to accomplish a whole chapter once you see it in your Bibles or however you're, you're kind of pulling that. But we're going to be in chapter two. Don't freak out or panic, verses 1 through 70. <laughs> I love saying that. Just the terror in your eyes, like, oh no. This is like those old school church meetings I used to go to, man, when I was a kid. And they would just preach till the pastor fell out. Not by the Spirit, but his caloric intake was so low, he'd just be like, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. But we're going to uh, work our way through this. Before we go any further, though, let, let's just pray. God, we, we, we come to the throne because your good word Oh, it's just, it's so encouraging. And even in the midst of, of long lineages and, and heritages of, of those who have committed themselves to you, um, we find these nuggets nestled in this massive amount of verses uh, to you. And we also find the truth that comes out for us. So Lord, help us to know what you meant and what it means for us. And then also what we can do about it. I don't want to sit on the sidelines of my own life. I don't want to be a, just, a, just a, a, an extra in the film that is my life, but instead want to be engaged and follow you as closely as I can. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever noticed when it's time to buy a car or you just bought a car, all of a sudden that's the only car you see? You're like, dang, everybody's got an El Camino like I've got an El Camino. This is crazy. Everywhere you drive, minivans, trucks, and when you go to buy that car, that's all you see. And then before, you never saw it. I was that way. Um, uh, in college, I got uh, this four-door Dodge Neon that my parents had actually got for me because my college is kind of far away. And I had never noticed dual overhead cam, sport edition Dodge Neons from 1998. That's how old I am. And, but then once I got it, that's all I saw. And then I was like, we should start a ministry of this where we get together with our neons and our factory installed sound systems and just hang out. And that's all I ever saw. And then I got rid of that and got married and started having kids. Now all I see is Honda Odyssey minivans. That's all I see. Because we have one of those. And I'm just like, that's all my life is. I'm like, dang, look at all these people around here that have minivans. This is crazy. We should start a club or something. They've got Jeep week here. Let's start minivan week. Let's just do it. What's your car seat like? Ooh, look at my car seat. I've got nacho stained in my carpet too. And that's all you see. And what happens is your, your eyes change and you can see it everywhere. You're driving down the highway way too fast. That's all you notice. And all of a sudden, your, your eyes have changed because of what it does um, to your heart. Your heart becomes trained to that because you've built these memories in these vehicles. And, and now you just see those everywhere. And all of a sudden your vision's changed because your heart is kind of locked into to something else. You, you find it, you, you see it, you move it. And, and that's exactly what this passage of scripture does is it, is it resets people's hearts so that their eyes start seeing things um, more differently. Let, let me just give you the one thing. The one thing from the message, like the one thing, you know, is you could tune into this and, and know this. So you live where you live to serve God and others. 
Now, you may not have your, your, your heart and your eyes tuned that way yet. And, and maybe you do, and I know some of you do. But you live where you live to serve God and others. That's why you're there. Not to mow the lawn every time it rains. Not to have nice uh, gardenias in there. Or hobby. You've got those things. But the primary foundational goal is you live. Where, and they thought, what, if, what if I hate where I live? What if where I live makes me sad? What if where I live is, is filled with, with horrible memories? And I would still say to you this one thing. You live where you live to serve God and others. That this place that God has placed you, this, this place that you would call home, right? What are, what are all the Cracker Barrel sayings? Home is where the heart is. Home is where grandma is. You know, we get all these sayings. But, you, but your home and where you live is there to serve God and others. That's what really transforms it. So if you love where you live and, and love where you've got, then that will deepen it. But if wherever you are is a struggle and it's difficult for you, this, this will bring good purpose and joy and actual rejoicing out of it for where those things are. Now, the, the focus of to serve God and others is that's in the name of Jesus for God's glory by the power of the Holy Spirit, which means the Holy Spirit tells you what to do in your home and in your community and, and then you do and you follow that in the name of Jesus, not just good deeds, but godly purpose. And then it's for God's glory so that he gets the praise and he gets the credit. And so the people will become more like Jesus and follow him more closely. So it's just, when, when, when God looks at things, he just sees things differently. When he looks at your house, his, his heart is set differently. Just like you when, you, when you buy that car or you're looking at a new car and you see that everywhere. God just sees the homes and the neighborhoods of creation differently than we do at times. So we want to kind of deepen that and ride into that wave um, so that we know what's going on. So let me give you some context of why this is so important. Your generous, serving hospitality sets the stage for people to be set free by God. When, when you are generous, when you are loving, when you serve, when you care, when you use whatever's around you for hospitality, it gets their attention and, and points them in, in, in the right direction, right? Points them in the, the right direction. So your community and your neighborhoods just it lives out that way to serve God and others. So I was telling the, the burgers and bowels uh, people this, this story a little bit, but um, uh, early in the morning, uh, wife was coming back from doing, doing some stuff, and she's like, hey, there is an ambulance two houses over. Let's just go, go see what's going on, right? Go, go let, let, let's find out what's happening, because we've lived in our community for a while. We, we kind of know everyone. There's an ambulance out there. There's a bunch of cars. I'm like, hey, what's going on? Because we have a good neighborhood. We know our neighbors. We take care of each other. We just kind of watch out. So I just walked over there, right, and walked over there, went up in the house like, hey, what's going on? Because it's my neighbor buddy. We take care of each other. We do different things. And people are like, hey, who are you? I'm like, look, my name's Nathan. Uh, I help out with the yard around here some, but I'm also a pastor. What's going on? Is he okay? So then they just started telling and talking and they were like, well, um, no, no, he's not. And here's what's happening. And he did, they started to tell the story. So, hey, let's pray. We, you know, prayed for him and came out and got to talk. He's still in the hospital. But man, where you live, God put you there to serve God and to serve others. And you don't have to be afraid. I'm not. I just went over there. I was like, boom, what's happening? I mean, that's just how I am, Right? Something's going on. Amos is just show up everywhere. So it's just a good example of, of how we can just hospital. And they were confused. Like, what are you doing here? You look kind of crazy. Weird. And I was like, hey, I'm here to help. And uh, that's what we do. So he had a dog. We had to take care of the dog and just kind of talk and, and just been checking in on him each and every day. 
Hey, how's it going? What do you need? What can I do? How can I help? It's just simple stuff. Just simple stuff like that. So um, let's dive into the scriptures. Ezra chapter 2. And when we're done here, we'll get all the way through verse 70. What? This is crazy. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1. Now these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiled whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem, Judah, and each to his own town. So what's happening here, if you've not been following along the previous series, is that that God uses an evil nation to punish his people because they have, they have stopped worshiping him. And they're not worshiping him in their homes. They're not worshiping him together anymore. So he uses, this is 70 years, Nebuchadnezzar's time. He uses an evil country in order to bring punishment and judgment to those folks for disobeying. Now God, fulfilling a prophecy that's actually 200 years old, comes out and is allowing them, uh, because it's his will, to return back to Jerusalem, to return to the nation of Judah, and really to go back to their own town. And that's what we're experiencing and that's what we're seeing here. So just give so now Cyrus is king. He's the one who has kind of decreed for them to come back. But I want to draw yourself, uh, draw you, your attention to some of this stuff in verse one. So who are the people um, in the province that are leaving? That's the huge names that you're going to see there. They are qualified and described as um, captives and exiles, right? So if you're captivated by something or a captive, that means you're in some sort of state of or act of captivity. Your, your freedom is not your own, right? So maybe you got a favorite, favorite uh, sports team or something on uh, Sundays and you're like, man, I, I am captive at this hour for a million hours. No one talked to me while the game is on. Or whatever other thing your, your heart pursues after. That thing that you treasure. That I'm going to do this. You know, it's, it's working out. It's, it's going for walks. It, it, it's just being with other people. However that works, you're captivated by that. Which means you don't have freedom of that time because you are locked into that schedule. That is precious. That is close. That is intimate. And you are going to, to do that. So these people were captivated. They were exiles from their homes, from following God, and they were captivated by a foreign entity. Something else was governing their freedoms. Something else was governing what they do, who they were, and even how they worshiped. So now what you see in this passage of scripture is all of a sudden there are a lot of people living in captivity next door to each other, and God's like, it's time to return home. Now, when you say home to a Jewish person in the Old Testament to someone who is a, a God-fear, home is going to be where God is. Now, in the Old Testament, that's literally Jerusalem, right? Where Solomon's temple was. They're returning to rebuild that. But home is where God is. That's where home is. So they're returning, yes, to the geographical location, their, their mailing address, but they're going back to God for a very specific purpose, which we'll see in a little bit in these later verses. But there are a lot a lot of people in captivity and exiles. There's some 40, 50,000 people we're talking about here now moving. That's, that's just basically counting the, the men and some of the slaves and some of their animals that they have. So when they're looking to be set free, Cyrus is the one that's sort of politically setting them free, but God's the one that's delivering them. And by the way, that message has never stopped with the Lord. He desires for your neighbors to set free. My neighbor that I went and, and, and helped and visited where the ambulance was doesn't know Jesus, doesn't love Jesus, cares for me because I care for him, but doesn't care for the God that saved my soul. 
So you try and you, and you talk and you put in, but he hasn't yet to realize that only Jesus can set him free from, from all that ails him. It doesn't mean that life's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean it's going to be without hardship. It just simply means that there's a way forward and through when things get hard and when things get rough. So that's why we pray in those moments as they're about to load him into the ambulance and not give some cool little platitude. You know, we're better together, man. Yeah, go do it. No, it's like, look, God is the only one that's going to help you. I may never see you again. So you, you look into this and you go, wait a minute. If, if Jesus is the one that, that sets captives free, if God's the one that's setting these people free, then, then am I set free from sin and death? That's, that's the wages. That's when, when people die as non-Christians, that's what they have earned in their life. The wages of sin, which is death. Our wrong doings, our wrong thinkings, our wrong sayings. All of that presses and weighs down on us. And if Jesus, who has already paid, if we haven't accepted or responded to that salvation, being saved by grace through faith, then, then there's, there's no chance for us. And there's so much more hope in that. I, I would draw your attention, just listen to this verse in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, when you're talking about exiles of captives. Because remember, you know, now all I see is, is minivans. And now when I drive to, to places, man, especially like now that it's gotten cool and like everybody's like out of their houses, like I'm driving to, to church early this morning just to go through my regular checklist. And I was like, look at all these people that are out. Like I'm wondering if they're all walking to church. That's my hopeful pastor heart, right? They're all in their fitness clothes walking the bridge to go to church. I know it. That's what they're doing. They're paying for parking to walk to church. That's what they're doing. I know that's not what they're doing, but that's the hope of my heart. And that's how I see Sometimes they yell out like a crazy person, see you at church, you know? And they're like, we're from Pennsylvania. I'm like, that's okay. Come anyways. So we think about this saving grace of Jesus Christ. We think about that. And here's what it says in Luke 4. This is Jesus talking, not me. So the spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, because, because God has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty and freedom those who are oppressed. So, so God has put you where you live so that you might serve him and serve others. So when you're walking the bridge or hanging out in the neighborhood or you're going to work or wherever you are, wherever you live for those moments and those hours, you just see it differently. You see people more compassionately, Right? It's no longer road rage. It's those people really need Jesus. And you just start to have your heart transformed by that. And I love this part about them returning home, right? I'm sure you guys have heard all the analogies, right? Where we're just stewards of this world. We don't really actually own anything. We're just renters. We're just strangers and sojourners passing through this life into eternity where we're going to spend forever. So some of us will live 20, 30, 40, 50 years, 80, 90, maybe 100, the Lord willing. We're going to spend forever, hundreds of hundreds of years, tens of thousands of years in eternity forever. And when you start to look like this verse says at the captives and the exiles who are returning home, then you just start to see people differently the way that God yearns. Because there's only two places they're all going to end up. But God doesn't want to just wait till they die to have a relationship. He wants to now. Which is why being saved by grace through faith is so important. That they can have that intimate relationship with him even now.
And he talks about returning home. Let me, let me just hit you with a couple verses here of, of, of how home is, is so important for people. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5, 1, you can just listen to this. Um, for we know that, uh, this is Paul talking, we, he, go, he calls our bodies like a tent, right? Um, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God as Christians, a house made not of hands, but eternal in the heavens, right? Uh, maybe you've heard it said more this way, God's building for me a mansion in heaven, a little cabin in the corner of heaven, you know, a little room, many rooms, some translations say, and the giant house that is God in eternity. I mean, he desires for us to come home. Praise the Lord, this isn't as good as it can get. And then in Psalm 91.1, he says, look at this. This is, this is why it's so important to, to help people come home to God, to come to that saving relationship. Because it says in Psalm 91.1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So when you think about 91.1, he's like, if you're dwelling in the, the shelter of the Most High, if you're living in that relationship with God, then the shadow of the Almighty is going to watch over you. And how do shadows work, right? Shadows extend out. So you come out of the house and you're in there. But he says the shadow of the Almighty, which means you're protected and provided for. No matter what comes against you. Lois mentioned it there. We talked about it last week. What man means for evil, God what? Turns to good. Genesis 50.20. So you can just stand in the shadow of the Almighty, which is also cool too. Because in order to stand in the shadow, who's gotta, whose shadow do you have to be in and near? God, you got to be near God. So the next time something bad rolls up on you, you're just looking up at God going, yep, I am standing in this shadow. And it's going to run away. It's going to be resisted and flee, um, as the Bible says. So, so why does God set the captives free? Why does God set the captives free? Um, so that they can be with him and his glory can be revealed. That's what he's doing. So we'll just contextualize it um, right here into the 6th century BC. Why is he setting those people free? So that they can return home to him, right? Let the bird go. And then if it comes back, you can keep it forever, right? So he's letting that, he's returning. He's like, come home, return to me. And for my good glory, you got 50,000 people traveling from central Persia, which would be basically what we would call eastern Turkey now, down to Jerusalem, that at best is going to take you 14 days walking. Two weeks walking with 40,000 other people carrying all the stuff that we looked at. And God's like, here's why I'm sending you free, to be in a relationship with me, to return home with me, and for my glory to be revealed. Because wouldn't that be a great story? How in the world did you get out of jail? God set me free. How are you not being oppressed by the Persian? Remember, the, the Persian Empire is, is the dominant empire, more than Egypt at this time. Rome hasn't even come on the scene yet. The Greeks haven't even showed up. So they are the dominant. How are you set free? God set me free. And they're telling every neighborhood that they go through. They're telling every, well, there's, there's no truck stops or gas stations. Uh, camel holes that you drink and food places. Hey, man, God set us free. Where'd all that stuff come? God is providing um, for us. So God sets people free um, so that they can be with him and his glory is revealed. All right, so let's, you know, all the way down a couple of columns. Let's go to verse 68. Verse 68 of chapter two. So that, you know, we're fast forwarding weeks and weeks and weeks, right? As they're telling about what happens when they show up. So some of the heads of the families, when they came to the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, made freewill offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. 
So uh, YC, again, just do not want to skip over the need for godly men to be leading. Now we know from the scriptures that everybody follows, but I love that the, the heads of the family, that the men stepped up and they saw this and go, this is what we're going to do. God desires and yearns for men to lead where they work, for men to lead in their homes, for men to lead in their worship areas, the local church, and also where they recharge. Not at the expense or the abuse of anyone else, but also just at the desire to go, hey, let's go this way. So I, I love that, that guys are doing this, that, that heads of the family, this doesn't sound so Italian, right? Like the heads of the family, you know, and you're like, yeah, let's do it. And they're like, yeah, here we go. And they come to the house of the Lord, which by the way, is in rubble, Right? They're not walking up on Solomon's most glorious temple. They're rolling up on a temple that is set 70. You ever left something outside for 70 years? No, you haven't. I know you haven't. But it was out there and they roll up on this place house of the Lord and it's just a field full of rocks at best, right? Just, it's just a field right there. And they've got, they know God's will for it. It's kind of like the property we have out there on 210, that four acres. It's just, it's grass and dirt right now. But one day, someday... When the Lord wills it, it'll be a place for families to worship and draw closer to God. For them to be able to play and grow and strengthen. For husbands and wives to be able to spend time together while the kids are safely doing other stuff. And for them to be able to come and worship and just say how great God is. So I love that, that men lead this here. And, and what I really love is, is their response to the, to the free will offerings to the house of the Lord. Here's, here's why I love this. Uh, I love this verse 68 because they haven't gotten over being saved. They haven't got over being saved. Two weeks, hard journey, who knows how they got food. And they show up and go, God has saved us. And I'm not going to get over that. And I would say even that is a, a tenet of Christianity. That you would never get over being saved. And what you see in this verse 68 is the, the embers. You know those fires when they burn down, those little campfires, when they burn down and they're just like glowing red rocks? Well, what's happening now in verse 68 is those glowing red rocks, those embers are now becoming a roaring flame in the men, women, teenagers, and children that are there. And they're like, you know what? I am, I am never getting over being saved and that God has done a great thing for me. So then they just free will offer this stuff. They just put it out there for the Lord and say, look, Here's what we're going to do for God's good glory. We're going to build a place for him so that others can find their place in him. And I, I love that passage and just how it burns and how they celebrate that in verse 68. That we as Christians, no matter how many decades we've been, would never get over um, God saving us. That we'd still have the same zeal, but, but all the years of wisdom, right? Have you ever said that? Like, man, if I could just go back with the knowledge that I have now to junior high, I would do two things. I would do it differently, and I would dominate a dodgeball. Because I know all the things that work, right? So you're like, if I could just put my knowledge in the, the goofiness that was my 20s, I would do things so differently. Now these people are in this verse to go, look, for 70 years we have been in exile and taken captive. And there is no one else to blame but us. And now we have returned with knowledge and wisdom. And they've still not gotten over that God saved them and set them free. Because they were captives and exiles. So like, here, let's just do this. How can we use these places in our homes? Look at verse 69. And you just see them just kind of roll out. Just so you know that this isn't lip service, Right? 
that they're not just riding high on a spiritual moment or some sort of conference like, hey, we made it. You kind of know how you feel after a long journey or a long flight. Then you get to your vacation destination. You're like, woo, we're here. Then you're like, oh man, we got to unpack everything. They're not doing this. Verse 69. So according to their ability, they gave to the treasury of the work 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 meters of silver, and 100 priests' uh, garments. And, and what I love about the phrase that they gave according to their ability, and I really want you to hear this. They gave according to ability that, that wasn't better than others but they gave their faithful best. So many times in the American culture, and even in our Christian faith, we try to outdo each other, right? Like we want to be the best at something, or this is why you need to worship here, because we do this better than others, or, or this is why you need to come over here. And, and what I love about this is it says they gave according to their ability. So God's clearly like, don't be enamored by just the buckets and basins and camel and donkey loads of gold and silver that's there, though that's important. It shows that they were all in and committed, you know? I don't even know where they got those priest garments. Like, do they just have seamstresses just going crazy making those? I don't know. But I love the fact that it says their ability gave. They just gave their faithful best. This is, this is what we have as a family. And this is what we're going to do. So that's the condition. You, you, you already have, or God's going to give whatever you need for that to come. I mean, you, it's an answer to prayer. You guys this morning are an, are an answer to prayer for me. I was like, God, is it, can I just ask you to send some people this morning? Whoever you want, can you just do that? And he's like, yeah, thanks for asking. And guess what? You're here. And I'm going to keep praying for you to continue to come and, and, to, and, and to just get close to the Lord. I was like, God, I wish I just had the power of invisibility so that they wouldn't even have to see me, but they could just hear your word. And then God's like, maybe one time you'll just preach from the sound booth and not even stand up front. I was like, oh, that'd be cool. So maybe I'll do that. Because their goal isn't like, look at the flashy stuff we have. They just go, look, we just love God so much we just gave to our ability. And I love um, that commitment. And you have to answer the question, how is ability tied to faithfulness? Like, how do you take your times, your talents, your treasures, your skills, your abilities, and tie that to faithfulness? I would say, just like we see here with these guys, um, through obedience to what the Holy Spirit directs. Well, that word ability ties in so much consideration. I, I'm not going to break down all the Hebrew for you, but I would say it this way. That when they come to develop their ability, the wise person goes, am I able to do this? Right? Eventually, you're going to probably, if you live long enough, Get old, old enough to where you shouldn't climb ladders anymore. You know what I'm saying? Maybe not even step stools. So they look at their ability. <laughs> I just saw some of the wives like, this guy's preaching now, right? But you look at their ability and it's just like, look, here, here's the deal, man. Here's the thing. When you take that ability, they go, what, what does God want us to do? That's what I love. In that culture, they're going to ask the question, not what do I feel comfortable doing, but what is God calling me to do? Huge difference. Huge difference. And that's the, the heroic difference. That's the faith-filled difference. So when it says their ability, you've got to know that's what's ingrained in this Old Testament verse is they're not looking at their stuff going, well, I can do this without taking a hit or I can do that without taking a hit. They're going, no, what is God telling us? That's our ability. We can give what God's called us to do because he's going to give us all we need to do it. Does that make sense? They don't put restrictions on God. They don't look at their, their checking accounts or their mental abilities or their physical abilities or any of the lack thereof and go, no, there's no way I can do that. They just go, you know what? I'm just going to trust the Lord. And I'm going to step out in faith. And he 
will provide in each of those things. So it's obedience, right? I mean, what is obedience in faith, right? Faith is the evidence of things hoped for and yet unseen. I mean, you know that, right? That's what your faith in action is. You're just going, I'm going to just show the evidence of what I hope for. Like me driving over the bridge, hoping all those fitness people are walking to church. And, and I, it's still yet unseen. So we pray for that. Look at verse 70. Last verse we're going to look at here. Verse 70. Now the priests and the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, uh, the temple servants, um, they lived in their towns and all the rest of Israel um, in their towns. So you see all these different gift sets of people and how they worship and lead others to worship in God that they lived among the people. So this has been happening for thousands of years that God takes people and their roles and puts them all over the place. Man, you know when somebody moves into your neighborhood, do you not? You like you see the truck come by or the U-Haul show up and then you linger and all of a sudden you got yard work to do forever, right? Because you're like, what are they doing? How many dogs do they have? You know, oh my goodness, do they have a fence, right? I love dogs. We have more dogs. You know, you just, you see that stuff and you notice that. So when God's doing this, there's an intention to it. We would just blow by this. In fact, many people probably just skip chapter two altogether. It's like, look at all these names. Oh my goodness. I can't even pronounce these. I tried to search it through Google. Google can't even pronounce these. And you see all these names, you're like, we don't need to do this. But then he's like, look at the list of these people, priests and Levites and, and gatekeepers. You know the gatekeepers are? Gatekeepers are your hospitality people, man. They're the ones who are at the door helping people find their way into the different courts of the temple so that they might worship. They're the people that hand out um, candies and mints and chocolates when you come in the door. A vital part of what happens. They're the people that have muffins and coffee and things in the back for you to get. And he puts those people in other neighborhoods. Not in some little community, though they may find themselves there. But he puts them there so that they're there. And, and what I love is that they're known by their worship role and how they serve God in order to make disciples. Isn't that cool? That that's how they're known? Hey, what's your role? What's your job? I'm, I'm a Christian and I love the Lord and this is what I do. I think that's so just sweet and awesome to know that, that that's what they're known by. And why does God have his children live in all different places, you'd ask? Because wouldn't it make more sense to kind of castle up, to fortify up, right? Let's just build a monastery and hide in there. Let's retreat to the mountains like the Essenes did in the New Testament, Jesus' day, and just, just study the word and never talk to people and judge them from our high places. Or let's engage so much in, in, in legalism that there's no liberty and grace. And we just tell people what to do all the time like we're the judge and God's not. Like the Pharisees did. But what you see in this passage of scripture of, of why does God have his children live in all different places? I, it's, you know, it's the hope that I have. I mean, I got three kids and uh, two boys and a girl. Uh, so pray for me. That was also a prayer request and a confessional. Um, but pray for me because I hope that someday when they grow up, one, uh, my greatest hope for them is they'll become Christians and be saved. And they're not there yet, but I hope that they will. And then when they go out, as my grandpa would say, that they don't act like knotheads when they go out there. And you know what a knothead is, right? You got a knot on your head because you got hit on it because you did something stupid. But I pray that my kids will go out and be a, a, a blessed force for the Lord. It's one of those regular prayers that I have at night uh, with Rachel, my wife, is, uh, Lord, um, give us good health and long life and service to you. 
And that's what I pray for my kids, that when they go out there, they'll, they'll represent Christ well. So you know God has the exact same thing here for the Levites, priests, and Israelites. But what? We know as Christians, it's a priesthood of what? All believers. So when God looks at you as his kids, as Christians, he desires that for you. So whatever your home address is, whatever your mailing address is, he desires that in all those different places that you would share the same soul-saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all those who need it. And, and, and pray that an aimless doesn't have to pull up to your neighbors for you to engage in that. But that you've already laid the groundwork and be like, see, look, dude, you got like, who knows, 10 minutes left. Better handle this. Better get this settled. Because you live where you live to serve God and others. So, so based on this message, what can we do to become more like Jesus? That's the ultimate life goal. Whatever your, your role is, whatever social media status you have, your, your, your goal is to answer that question, how do I become more like Jesus? So let's just talk about your worship for a little bit and our worship. So private and corporate. Um, know your role should never end. No, your role as a worshiper should never end. As a worshiper of God, you should always be a worshiper of God in word, thought, and deed. So you don't stop, right? You don't punch in flipping hamburgers and go, not a Christian. And then when you clock out, now I'm a Christian. Just all the time, everywhere you go, no matter what happens, know your role, you should do it. That's what I love about that verse 70. Like there are the gatekeepers and the, and the priests and the Levites and those people that go to their town. But, but that's how God sees them, right? He just is like, look at all these minivans I got going out there. It's awesome. So good, so many more people we can just carry to the Lord. Look at all these priests and Levites and gatekeepers and worshipers. So, so know your role should never end. Strive to be the same person all the time wherever you go. However that works and however God lays it out. Plus it's just, I don't have time to go into that, but it's just such a joy to always have to be the same person and not remember what story did I tell these people or, or what thing did I make up here or how do they see me there? What am I trying to fit in? Just faith in. Can I say that? Don't worry about fitting in, just faith in. God will take care of it, right? This is in our home, just passing through, just renters, stewards. Uh, let's talk about community when you're out with others. This, this is so cool. It's free to be set free. People love free stuff. They really do. They love free stuff. And they would love it for you to offer that. So just remember, it's free to be set free. As a, and I'm talking to the Christians here, both online and watching. As a former captive, you know the only way through is Jesus. So you can just help them. Your only hope and anything improving is in the guy that is the way, the truth, and the life. It's only through Jesus. And you know what? It's free. Man, if you were on a free grocery shopping trip, you would lose your mind. You'd be like, I got a praise, Pastor. I need to tell you about this. And I would do the same thing. It's free to be set free. So just remember that you can always offer that opportunity and continue. If they say no, are they any worse off? No. But if they say yes, oh my goodness. Boy, just the floodgates, doors, windows, whatever of heaven can begin to be open and access to the hardship and the highlights of life. So just remember, it's, it's free to be set free. Why? Because Jesus already paid for it. Cost him everything. He gave it all. That's why it's free. And sometimes we think free is, is cheap and, and not worth it, but not this. This is the most precious thing that anyone can have, a relationship with Jesus Christ that's thriving and growing. 
uh, here's a great way you can serve people um, with, with just kind of the truth and knowledge that where you live, um, you live to serve God and others. Um, faithfully focus your ability. There, there are a million different things you can do with, with your ability. But God and others should reap the benefit of your faith and deeds. The Bible talks often about how God is pleased by and then fills in the blank and lets us know what that is. Um, some of you may know the, the well done, thy good and faithful servant. You see those. But faithfully focus your ability. Uh, let's see. Um, it's priorities. It, it's setting your heart on something that you can, can go after, right? Uh, when we talked about that, it's your, your faithful best um, every day. You don't have to quit your job to be faithful. You know what? You don't have to quit relationships sometimes to be faithful. You just continue on and, and, and to push into that and, and to trust the Lord and just do your faithful best and, and God will care and provide just like he did for these guys after a two-week-long journey. That's, that's what we, we kind of don't see is from verse 1 to verse 70. They're walking, I don't know, what did it say? I think it was 7,000 miles, 5,000 miles they walked. That's crazy, right? I mean, I walked that bridge and I'm holding my knees like, dang, no more Swiss cake rolls because that's tough. Multiplication. This is how we grow this in others. The, the goal is um, for the kingdom not to build castles, right? We don't want castle Christianity. We want kingdom Christianity. We want a Christianity that just sees every place as an opportunity for God to grow in the hearts and minds of women. So you, you got to get together to serve together. That's what I love here too. I, I love that there's community. And that's in all the other verses we didn't go through. I mean, there are some we have biography on, but, but those people got together um, to serve together. So it's, think about how you can help others to see how they can use their abilities to serve God, however they do that. It's just, it, you just, you never know, right? You never know what abilities uh, people have and how you can use um, to get together, to serve together and do that, right? So uh, Chris and Kathy got married like this past weekend and they have this, uh, this guy came to it and, and Matthew, what is he like? Nephew, niece, Chris, Kathy, who, tell me who they were. He is you. Grandson. Okay. So Matthew's here. He Delaware, right? First person like ever met. I was like, where are you from? He's like, Delaware. I'm like, really? Where are you from? He's like, Delaware. And I was like, okay. I was like, hey man, you know, what do you do? And, and I saw him standing over here by the bass amp just looking, which normal people don't usually do. Usually don't linger at musical instruments. But I thought it's time to get awkward. So I went over and I said, hey man, do you play an instrument? And he's like, yeah, I do. And I was like, look, here's the deal. If you were living here, and you were in this community, we would have you in this worship team and preparing you for that right now. And then, so I see Chris and Kathy later, and they're like, hey, he's considering, who knows, we need to pray about it, trying to see if he can come back and live here over the summer next summer to come play with our worship team. Now this dude's looking at me like I'm some grandpa, man, right? He's like 15, my beard's more gray, your fault, by the way. And he's just like, ugh. And I was like, look, dude, doesn't matter how you look, how you feel, whatever's going on, there's an opportunity for you. I ask people all the time, just how can we help you get into worship? Because people got all kinds of abilities that they're not using. I encourage that. So let me show you the one thing one last time. It really is that easy. One thing one last time. You live where you live to serve God and others. Man, that's the deal. I mean, it's just you have such a great 
purpose and a calling and a, and a meaning to where you are. And whether you love it or hate it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because God can, can change your heart and the purpose of that. Your, your home address is meant to draw people back to Jesus Christ. And I know many of you, you're doing that and you're, you're thinking about that and you, you've got plans for that and you use those places. And I would just encourage you to remember that great and good purpose.